Well, hello there, and welcome to another thoroughly thrilling episode of Talk Commerce. I'm your host, Veronica Costello. Today's delightful episode is entitled Bridging Platforms, Growth Tactics, and ROI with Isaiah Bollinger. Buckle up, darlings, as we take a fabulous tour of the digital landscape, mastering the art of scalable strategies and making sure our conversion rates are nothing less than spectacular. Now, on to our splendid guests. We have our fearless host, Brent Peterson, and our very special guest, the relentlessly driven Isaiah Bollinger, the CEO of Trellis and a four-time winner of the coveted Inc. 5000 Award. A maestro in the world of digital strategies, Isaiah has catapulted Trellis into meteoric growth each year, proving it to be an absolute treat for businesses seeking expansive e-commerce solutions. But hold on, darlings. My enthusiasm must momentarily be put on hold. We've got to pause for ever such a short moment and hear about all the splendid things our sponsors have on offer. Great news for the Magenta community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hoofa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hoofa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y dot com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Is your Magento site moving at a snail's pace? Believe it or not, you're in the same boat as 90% of Magento store owners. Let's add a splash of optimism. I recently had a client who revived their site by switching to Hoofa. Their excitement was contagious. Hoofa is more than just a theme. It's like having a secret weapon in your e-commerce arsenal. Picture this. You're crafting an online space that's as vibrant, engaging, and dynamic as your brand. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the Hoofa magic. Performance, top-notch. Usability, smooth as butter. With Hoofa, hitting Google Lighthouse scores of 100 isn't a dream, it's reality. My client and I have been on this exhilarating journey, and I tell you, it's a game changer. But hey, Hoofa isn't just about turbocharging your performance. It's about putting a personal stamp on your store. The theme is fully customizable. Play around, express yourself, make it truly yours. My client has been having a blast watching their online storefront transform supercharged by Hufa's powerful features and tools. Ready for transformation? Why not test drive Hufa and feel the difference yourself? Visit hyva.io. That's hyva.io. And when you get there, don't forget to mention that Talk Commerce sent you. Trust me, you're in for a treat. My name is Brent Peterson and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcast. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Isaiah Bollinger, no relation to the champagne. Isaiah, go ahead and introduce yourself. 
Uh, tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Yeah. So I'm Isaiah, founder and CEO of Trellis. Uh, started the company about 11 years ago, actually. It's a digital agency, um, somewhat similar to your your previous company, which I would say we're a little more diversified in, in the Shopify, BigCommerce world, which you started also in Magento, I think like you did. And yeah, but outside of work, big sports guy, follow sports a lot, but also starting to become adapting to the travel life. My wife's like a big traveler. I'm, I'm starting to enjoy it more and get more used to that. But another quick thing is just being outdoors. I, I think uh, living in Boston when it's nice, like right now, you realize, oh, this is it's way better. <laughs> yeah. And I live in many I live in Minneapolis. So we have this these little shoulder periods where the weather is nice. And then it gets really hot and then it's nice and then it's <laughs> unbelievably cold, which I've been to Boston in January. I know what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> How can we find a way to live in Florida or LA for three months? If I could just get away for that three months, it would make a big difference. You know? There you go. Perfect. All right, Isaiah, before we get started on our content or what we're going to talk about today, you agreed to have me tell you a joke. And then all you have to do is say, should that joke be free or can we charge for it? So here we go. And I've got a really good one for you today. Why do elephants hate running on the beach? Because they can't keep their trunks up. I would say if you can couple that with more back-to-back, then you can charge money for it. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Yeah, and it has to be more of a a broader service offering. Yeah, exactly. you got to give me a little bit longer, more time, and then I think you can charge (laughs) <laughs> All right. Tell us, a, just tell us, give us a, just a, the elevator pitch on Trellis. Just tell us the 10,000 fit view about your agency. And then I'd love to talk about your event that you did F1 and what else yeah. we have. Yeah. I'll give you the quick background of that. explain how it's led us to where we are, which is our value prop now, which is we started very technical 10, 11 years ago. And I feel like a lot of people, everyone was just trying to build things and it was early and the infrastructure wasn't quite there. More recently, we really pivoted and focused on this more full-service strategic offering, which is we're going to help you with acquisition, conversion, fulfillment, retention, analytics, and measuring this whole flow of what we call the digital customer lifecycle, and then bringing them back through retention, right? And yeah, we do that for both B2B and B2C. Yeah, I think we're one of the unique full-service offerings that's still a smaller agency. We're about 65, 70 people where we can be like really hands-on and and help someone with that whole kind of full-service offering, but we're not quite the mega agency. You can still talk to me or the other owners, your client. (laughs) Right. In our green room, you're talking about the event you did F1. And I know for, we were talking about how effective those are. Tell us, just give us the little snippet on what that about. Yeah, I got to give all the credit to Jared. He's our CRO, kind of head of sales. He's just way better at events than me. So I was like, all right, you run events. I'll help out where I can. And I'll, there's a couple that I do on my own. And he somehow in a very short period of time pulled together, uh, Trellis plus three other sponsors. So it was Trellis, Big Commerce, Blue Rage and PayPal. We all co-sponsored the, the Formula One race in Miami, 270,000 people. So it was pretty insane. I think I had my fair share of Miami, the fill of Miami after that kind of week. But I think from an event perspective, I think we're really trying to lean more into these like personal events where we actually get to know everybody. We have dinners, we're with them all day. We build real relationships. We actually get to understand their business. 
And I just think it's a way better way to to build B2B relationships and hopefully a better customer base and, and they appreciate it as well versus you go to the traditional ETL East, ETL West, Shop Talks, and you're just bombarded by hundreds, maybe even thousands of vendors, right? It's like everyone's a vendor and the merchants are just like trying not to get overwhelmed by the the sheer volume of vendors. And it just feels like a rat race at those events and, and even sponsoring them. Even a ticket is they can spend five, $6,000 just to attend, not even a sponsor, right? I'm sure you've, you've seen that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. And I think you bring up a really good point on having that sort of personal touch with your client. I think the agency you have or the size you have gives you the ability to do that. And a yep. lot of clients appreciate that. And a lot of clients who don't know, so it's hard for them to understand the benefit you get from that. Tell us a little bit about how, like, the, tell us a little bit about how that gives maybe some more value to that business owner when you can be involved yeah. in more of the leadership team can. I think there's a lot of distrust in agencies, right? I think most companies, they've never had an agency or they've, once they have, they've had, uh, most of them, if you talk to them, will feel like they've had bad experiences. And so when you have this distrust, it's it's very hard to build trust on Zoom or a brief meeting. But when you're around someone in person and sharing food or whatever, some crazy event like Formula One, doesn't have to be that crazy. <laughs> just a dinner or maybe a simpler event. I think it builds trust and then you can get to the bottom of what what do they need to trust you and, and how do you actually offer real value or not make them feel like they're just being sold some I think a lot of companies just feel like they're being snake oil sold in this industry. Yeah, and, and maybe when you get to the size, when you're dealing with uh, big enterprise companies, then that the layer of people that are dealing with the layer of people don't really care. Like maybe when you're dealing more with the direct leadership, there's a lot more skin in the game, let's say, than it is if you're just dealing with the subordinate of a subordinate in a small section of a company that that's a multi-billion dollar company. I can say that I had a lot of experience with Universal Music. They were our largest client for about three years, and we were definitely under layers of layers. And they didn't care if I was the owner or if I was the developer. Was that the same as the Warner Music Group guys, or is it different? Oh, yeah. It's interesting, too, that G was on Magento and Warner was on Magento at the exact same time. Isn't that, I think yeah, both yeah, of them are off Magento now, right? Because one of our, yeah, because one of our, uh, one of the actual owners used to work at Warner Bros. Group on Magento for a brief period of time. So that's, but they're, they're completely separate. With yeah. Each other nothing to do with each other. I know the band Logic went from UMG to, to Warner, but that's the only yeah. thing, the only connection. Yeah. I think we're just trying to fight through the noise. You know, honestly, we want to get back to building these real relationships. Like I, I really think that COVID messed everyone up. It messed us up. It, it, people don't realize like these Zoom relationships, they're not the same. When I can see you at an event, which I'm sure we will see each other. I think I actually did see you a couple of times. I didn't get a chance to say hi because it just gets so overwhelming. But if they were able to do a smaller event, we could spend more time together. And so I think it's just, it's so much, it's so underrated building these real relationships. And you're right. Also, sometimes the big company is the layers it's like they're, you got to be careful. Are they out for themselves or are they out for the, the benefit of the company? Because sometimes people are just trying to climb the corporate ladder. And that doesn't necessarily always align with business. Yeah. Do you think that because of COVID and then because leadership saw that, hey, our team is still productive on Zoom, 
they said, maybe we don't need to go meet the client and maybe that's not so important. And even Adobe said, maybe we're never going to have another Adobe Summit in person because our Adobe virtual event went so great. Do you think that a lot of those people get stuck in that mold and then it's taken them some time to say, oh, you're right. Meeting a person and seeing them is so much more valuable than doing Zoom calls. I think you got to pick and choose, right? And Zoom calls are a great way to get to know someone. It could even be like the, the, the in-person meeting is the second meeting, right? The Zoom call is like, hey, we, we got alignment and there's something here. Now let's meet in person, right? But yeah, I think people are underestimating that, especially for like new relationships, right? Where you don't really know the person that well. It feels very transactional, right? And I think when you're an agency business, if you're transactional, then why the customer is just going to find a, they're going to shop around, right? Like, why wouldn't you? If you? Yeah. If you do think about it, if you think about it in the transactional model, that client is there and then they're gone because they're going after the next thing. And if you're not as an agency offering something special, that client has no reason to stick around. No. Yeah. Especially when there's a bajillion people emailing them and trying to sell them every day. Yeah. I think we need to get back to more in-person meeting the right kind, like you have to be careful, obviously, you can spend all your time in traffic and on flights and never get anything done that way. So I think there is been a, there has been a huge benefit to Zoom where sometimes it is better, but I also think we've gone too far. I think we need to figure out where the balance is and we're still working on it, to be honest, but definitely going to these events and starting to do them, make them more personal. I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. In our green room, you had mentioned you started in Magento, I don't know, 12 whatever years ago when Magento was Magento 1 and was probably a 1.3 even or something like that. It was, I think it was a very, very old version. And it seemed at the time that nothing could knock Magento off its pedestal, right? And now it seems that nothing can sh- knock Shopify off its pedestal. What do you think is going to happen now? Wh- what do you think is, where do you think you're going? Yeah, it's a tough situation. Right? And I think people don't really truly understand what's happening, or at least not not enough. And um, yeah, I mean, we saw the, the switch happening in about 2015, 2016. So we started to pick up Shopify. We actually merged with a Shopify only agency for that exact reason, because there's two reasons. There was some alignment with people and we, we felt like the people, their people solved our problems, our people solved their problems kind of thing where we had different skill sets. And then obviously we wanted to accelerate our Shopify growth. Yeah, I think that Shopify is definitely going to be the leader for a while. Um, but I do think that there's there's some gaps there, right? They're not really that well suited for the enterprise in some cases and some use cases. And so I think that's where big commerce has, has found a little niche, right? I think they've also picked up a lot of the disgruntled Magento customers that maybe can't go to Shopify because they need complex B2B or something that big commerce does better than Shopify. So I think there's, I think there's, I think people are underestimating big commerce. I think big commerce has a lot of potential to do a lot more in the enterprise, but yeah, I struggle to see too many other players make any serious impact. You hear the buzz about some of these other guys, but I just don't feel like they have the addressable mark, like the community. We grew up through this professionally, right? The community of Magento is what made Magento. I think they've lost a lot of that. And now it's become very enterprise. Like most of our Magento 2 business is fairly deep B2B, super complex B2B or enterprise, right? And there's really just not much else there. So it leads to a smaller community. Yeah, I don't, I, I haven't seen anyone else 
threaten Shopify from a community standpoint, except for BigCommerce. I think that's the one that to look for. I think Salesforce is too big, right? Like, or too enterprise, right? They can't, their community is just this little tiny enterprise niche, right? That most people can't really resonate with. And most of the other companies, is it Shopware or sorry? Yeah. Shopware, I think has some potential there with Europe, but they just haven't, I don't know. They haven't been able to break into the U.S. So there's a couple fringe things like Shopware, right? Maybe can they break into the U.S. with community? Yeah, they're working on it. Have you seen anything else that you're like, I think they, they come closest, right? Yeah, definitely big guy. And I had the pleasure last year sitting down with Brent Bellum for quite a long conversation. And he is not afraid at all to poke holes into Shopify. I'm always confused because it seems if you set, if you put them side by side, big commerce and Shopify are almost identical in terms of features. In fact, big commerce certainly has way more B2B features than Shopify. And it, and my only view is that Shopify just has a bigger marketing budget. I would say that Shopify is better at a few things. And those few things really matter to a lot of companies. It's just easier to manage the theme. It's easier to get a theme up and going. We have a, a package offering for Shopify where we can get sites up and running that look really good for really cheap relative to especially Magento. Big commerce, we're actually offering a similar package, but the theme marketplace just isn't as good. And for these smaller B2C or mid-sized B2C guys, like they, they can get away with just a pre-built theme and few apps and they don't need that much custom development. There's guys doing tens of millions on Shopify. And if you go look through their sites, it's like a theme and some apps. There's right. Else. Like literally it's crazy. And so I think they're better at a few things. They have a better app marketplace just because there's more volume there and there's more options. And then the theme marketplace is better. And so for ease of use, they're still a little bit ahead. But I would say, yeah, when you start to get into enterprise features, I do think big commerce threatens them, right? So it'll be interesting to see, right? And there are some things that Shopify is addressed. They have hydrogen, oxygen, the headless platform. They have the composable. So Shopify is obviously aware that they need to get better at enterprise. So we'll see. And they're working on it. But it's hard to say, right? Who's going to launch the more features faster is where it feels like we need to. That's. Yeah, Talk a little bit, you've mentioned community quite a bit, and I personally don't know of any, I, I don't think the Shopify community is very strong at all. I think they need to do a better job of democratizing that. I think there's a little bit too much nepotism there, in my opinion, or what I, I don't know, like insider, like, like insider favoritism. And I think that's a mistake. I think they need to build more of a like open community where everyone can play on the same level of playing field. I would say they definitely have a good community, but it does feel like you're either in the inside or the outside. And it can be difficult even for us. We've been doing, if you include Grossfark, who we acquired, and we still operate that brand because it's a brand we use to run the smaller sites, as well as Trellis plus Grossfark, we've probably done hundreds, maybe 300 Shopify sites because they were doing tiny ones and just doing so many, right? And they, they started even before we did. It still feels like we're on the outside sometimes, which is crazy, right? Like, doesn't that, how does that make sense, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the leadership at Big Commerce cares about that part and they're trying to do something. I'm, I guess I'm more involved in Big Commerce than I am at Shopify, but it's, it feels as though the leadership is invested in working on building a community 
And maybe it's harder for a SaaS platform like BigCommerce or Shopify to build a, a community, but you would think because Shopify is so much bigger than everybody else, they would have an equally bigger community. And I would argue that the community for Magento still is bigger in terms of developers than the Shopify community. Do we see like in there's even the Meet Magentos are still are back on, right? Meet Magento Romania was yesterday yeah. and it looked like they had really good attendance. So I, well, I well, that's I Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So let me what I think the problem is that Shopify has such a big market that you have this entrepreneur community, which is fine, but that's this own little baby companies. A lot of them, they're not really a good fit for a trellis. We tell them that we're honest about where we fit and don't fit in. And so I think they, they have to think about, they need to like, because they're so big, they almost need to build like multiple different communities like that. Keep that entrepreneur community, but that doesn't really apply to an agency like me or your agency. We need to go get the mid market clients. We need to go get the guys doing 20, 30, 50 million on Shopify. It's, that's a more fine tuned group. And I think they need to work on cultivating that. And then I think it gets discouraging when you're an agency like Trellis and yeah, they've built, we, we can handle million dollar projects. We can handle the enterprise. But instead of coming to me and saying, Hey, let's tackle the enterprise. They're like, Oh, look, we just got Deloitte Digital to do it for us. And it's like, okay. You know, so I yeah. think I, yeah. Maybe the differentiator is because it is a small entrepreneur run, like they can do it all themselves. They really don't care about everything else. Like in Magento, we all cared about all the things we were doing to make cool Magento things. But yeah. if you're just an agency or you're a store owner, you don't really think about how can you get something from some other store owner that's not in their wheelhouse. But as an open source developer, you're always thinking about, hey, maybe I can get some knowledge from somebody else yeah i think there's some of that but i think the problem is it's still that community they developed was really like the ground floor community and there needs to be more of that community for the folks that have scaled past the early stages of being that little baby startup because there's all these companies now doing 10 20 100 million 500 million on shopify and it's you can't though like it's just a different community and i think the other problem is just being a public company, right? When you're a public company, they also have to balance the fact that payments is still their biggest driver of revenue. So yeah. payments is drives more revenue than the platform. And I think they're also at a point where they have to be more profitable from a stock market perspective. Obviously, you saw the 20% layoffs. And I think they'll find their way. Like, I think they'll, but it may be a painful board member kind of led transition because that's the other thing is like i would you always have to wonder with a big public company like who's really like is the board member calling the shots because you you probably have some really influential shareholders and what are they trying to accomplish you know yeah and i think community is generally built from the bottom up outside of the actual company itself rather than top down from the company yeah, yeah so maybe um, we should do it <laughs> yeah there you go i'm yeah <laughs> I'd rather build a I'd rather build a big commerce community than a Shopify community. Yeah. Uh, so we we were talking a little bit about the this the feel of this recession. Do you see other businesses or store owners right now not pulling the trigger? 
And it was nice to like everyone, I think was like, that's the other thing because we did this personal event. It was about 25 of us at F1. I think everyone was just super honest, like in a room being like, it's been tough. There's one guy that we did talk to who's just crushing it. <laughs> well, there was a couple guys crushing it, but I, I think the people crushing it with the hyper growth, like that's the exception right now. That's not the norm. So a lot of guys are just honest. One of them was a really successful, had insane numbers in 2021, but he had to scale back from 90 to 33 people to be more profitable. And he's happier. He's happier. I think it's just things were so crazy in 2021 and the beginning of 2022. We're just, you have to be a little more cautious now and, and cut back. And it's hard to see that crazy growth. Obviously, there's some people that are lucky and able to fight through it. But I think the majority of people. And you're talking specifically about merchants, not other agencies, oh, right? Oh, I'm talking about both. I would say I think agencies are probably going through an even tougher time with some rare exceptions. Maybe they just found an amazing niche or kind of lever. But I think agencies are facing a tougher time because people are scrutinizing ad spend. They're less likely to do major projects. They're also questioning bills like maybe they're they can go find a cheaper offering. I think agencies are probably going through an even harder time than the merchants. I think the merchants are just what was a big takeaway from F1 and I'm doubling down on is I believe the future is multi-channel. I think the people that are weathering the storm and thriving are multi-channel and they're able to build their business through in-store, retail partnerships, wholesale. The website is part of that whole experience, right? And so... I think the pure D to C only business is proven to be not very scalable uh, for most people, you know. Yeah. And do you think the B2B side of it is the same now, that multi-channel approach in B2B? I think we're seeing a lot of merging. I think that we see like B2B moving closer to B2C and B2C also starting to explore B2B. And I think you're seeing this kind of, they're coming closer together. And I think there's more and more of offering both on the same website. You see with Amazon business, I just saw Amazon business commercial, but it's like that. I don't know. There's traditional B2B and then there's traditional B2C. And I think you're just seeing some of that start to like overlap more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think because now the people that are running the B2B sites have so much experience in just doing B to, or probably buying D to C or in that cycle, they realize that, hey, this model can also work for our own clients. And I think when B2B, when that Magento B2B came out in 2015, we still had, we still had business owners that were afraid of putting out their products on the internet because their salespeople weren't going to get a commission or whatever. I think all of that's going to get overcome, right? And I think that you just bake the commission into the B2B site, right? You just make sure that the, the sales, I still believe the sales rep should get commission even if they buy online, but now your job is to account manage them, hold their hand, ask them questions, say, oh yeah, I saw you place this big order. Like maybe you want this too, or what if I can get you this or whatever? So I think a lot of those like objections are frankly bullcrap. Like they're just not viable objections in 2023. And you know, all of a sudden it's going to be 2024 and it's going to be even more advanced. I also think some B2B companies are well suited to have a nice little B2C business. If you can carve out five, 10% of your revenue where it's just hobbyists or maybe do it yourselfers or maybe just really small businesses that essentially buy like a consumer, 
that's a nice little five, 10% chunk that you can probably charge a higher margin to and get your name and build community that way. And then I think B2C businesses are seeing the opposite, which is, hey, it's really hard to acquire customers, right? Facebook's expensive. All the traditional B2C is getting expensive. But if I can get a purchase order out to Walmart or maybe a smaller retailer, it doesn't have to be Walmart, but maybe if I can get a few hundred grand purchase orders out to some local retailers, yeah, my margin is lower. I can just call them up on the phone and that's my acquisition cost. Like, I don't know. I didn't have to spend $20,000 on advertising to... So when you factor in like the discount that you gave them, but you, if you're able to go out and hunt and get that deal at no cost or no hard cost, like it, it averages out and gets you out into the market more. I think people are underestimating that being in retail is actually marketing. Like when I see product in retail, I think about it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Remember when you see those brands that you don't expect to see in retail? You know what I'm talking about? Is, like, is there any that come to mind for you that you were like, oh crap, like, wow, this is in like Walmart or this is in maybe it's Home Depot or something that you just weren't expecting? Is this like a yeah, maybe some kind of a food or supplement brand or some kind of a bar that you'd think you'd only ever buy online and all of a sudden there it is on the Target shelf. Yeah. Does it make you think about it? And you're like, but then maybe you see their ad, right? Now you see their ad and you're like, maybe I will buy D2C, but maybe I'll buy it. You could buy both. I think that people think that, oh, you're only going to have D2C customers that like you, you might have people that buy in store and online, you know? So. Yeah. And that really goes back to that multi-channel approach that you were talking about earlier on how that channel that maybe that big box retailer is one of your challenge channels. And you, of course, you just have to have enough product to be able to stock it, but yeah, having places. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having it on Amazon, having it on the on on all those different channels is where we're going. Yeah. And I'm not saying go crazy to have 20 channels like next. To, don't go from one to 20. I think you have to start experimenting, chipping away at, OK, how do I go from one channel to three channels or two channels to four channels and slowly building? And I think some of this stuff can be can automate. There's automations and there's ways where it doesn't have to be this like huge burden. Yeah. If you were, if you had a crystal ball and you could look at the rest of 2023 going into 2024, what do you think is going to be the things that merchants should look at right now or yeah, now really, knowing that this? Yeah, I think that everyone should just that things are not going to be great for a while. I don't think unless some miracle happens, I don't think we're going to see the craziness of 2021 anytime soon. So knowing that, I would stay lean and efficient, but double down on automations, infrastructure. I think a lot of people underestimate how much value can be gained from building the infrastructure to be multi-channel and more efficient, right? Look at your fulfillment costs. Maybe there's room there to get those down a little bit, right? Like all these little optimizations, I think people focus too much on the homepage. That's what happens after they order or what happens when they're looking at shipping costs and you're... Are your shipping costs competitive? I think people need to really spend the next year looking at the entire, and that's why we're doubling down on this digital customer lifecycle because sometimes people just, they get caught up on like the trendy thing, but really they're bleeding money on the non-sexy stuff. I think that's what I would say. Double down on the non-sexy stuff, the shipping, the packaging, the customer service, you know, the product data. It's not exciting to make your product data better, but it's going to make your site probably a lot better. Yeah, that's such a great point. And that we made, we've made it through 30 minutes of not even mentioning chat GPT. But as a business owner or as a merchant, you have the ability to ask for 
a template of what is my what can how can I get my customer journey? Because I think what you were talking about is that the that our the merchants should be looking at some of these small things. And as an agency, you can also say, I would like to help you with your customer journey. If you haven't already mapped out the customer journey with the client, that's a great exercise to go through. You're never going to know those optimizations until they do that exercise. Yeah. So there's, I think there's so many tools that we have the ability to access and whether the client does it or their agency does it, that this is a time, as you said, this is a great time to take advantage of that. Tools. I think that what this is a time where companies should go look and they probably built this. A lot of these guys built this kind of, I'm trying to think of the right word, this kind of hodgepodge of things because they're growing. They buy this. The guy leaves. Now all of a sudden you have 30 apps and a bunch of different software. And it's, this is a good time to go back to the drawing board, look at how everything works together and how it's going to make you be multi-channel. You can probably get rid of 20% of your software. That's the thing. A lot of people that bought two apps now one of those apps does both those things and yeah it's a good to simplify that kind of stuff yeah unless you're somebody like me who has completely gotten addicted to app sumo where you buy it for the lifetime and then you end up with uh, something you're never going to use but hey it seemed like a really good deal for 39 bucks <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy sometimes we talk to these companies and it's, so what do you use that for they're like let's just this it, they end up paying these crazy licenses and they barely use the software, you know? Yeah. Right there is a great exercise to go through um, every month and, and see what is the usage. And actually, I just heard of an app that tells you your usage on software. I can't remember the name of it right now, but you can plug your software into another piece of software that tells you the usage of all the different pieces of software. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look, I'll find it. I'll put it in the show notes. I discover software to fix your software, right? It's like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not, I know and we can keep going, but my shameless plug is we talked about that is I want to be out there helping these guys get better at multi-channel, right? If you're on one channel, let me help you get the two or three and let me help you also consolidate software in the process. So I believe that almost any business I can go in there and tell them, here's how we're going to consolidate some and simplify some processes and get you better at multi-channel in the same process. Um, so that's my kind of shameless plug that, that it seems to be a lot more effective than trying to sell people on fluffy stuff that in this economy, maybe is not the best thing to buy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I say you, you stole it right out of my mouth. We are over time, but I appreciate the shameless plug before I even ask you for the shameless plug. You're the first person who's done the shameless plug in advance. That's great. The timing was good. <laughs> Perfect. I, and I'll put, I'll put your, all your contact deals in the show notes. So Isaiah Bonja, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. And any particular way you'd like people to get in touch with you? Yeah, I'm big on LinkedIn and Twitter. So just you Google my name, it's Isaiah Bollinger. You should be pretty easy to find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, through my name. And then our website, trellis.co. Unfortunately, we don't have the .com. It's just trellis.co. We're still betting that over time that will get more normal. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can just hit us up on the contact page if you want like a formal kind of trellis process. We'll do free consultations, free analysis, give you our two cents. And you're never too small to talk to us. So I think sometimes people think that they're too small to talk to us. We'll always talk to you. We might say, look, I don't think we're the best fit, but I'll give you all my advice that I can in an hour or two and help you find the right fit if we're not the fit. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. 
please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.